Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join our special guest as he teaches from the Word of God. I'm going to try real quick to do everything that might be uncomfortable, so I'm going to sit in silence for just a second. I'm going to drink a little water. And that's good, isn't it? Good morning. Somebody come on, let's clap before the Lord. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Travis Perez, better known as Scooter Perez. I, uh, if that's confusing to you, I'm sorry. It's been confusing to me for 55, almost 55 years now. So, My grandfather raised me and my brother, and he nicknamed me that when I was about six months old. So uh, it has stuck for 54 years, and I am totally comfortable with that. Some people get confused. I'm good either way. So uh, real quick, I was just sitting there thinking, if you ever wondered what it would feel like to be like a 10-string kicker on a football team <clears throat> that just got called off the bench in order to make the winning field goal and in your zeal you ran out on the field only to recognize that every eye was on you expecting you to make that field goal <laughs> if you've ever wondered that get with me right after service and I'll tell you exactly how it feels okay <laughs> as I said my name is Scooter Perez I've been serving the Lord here for 24 years almost uh, the Lord saved me in this ministry under Brother Henry, and uh, I don't know how else to say this. I was sitting there in worship thinking, sometimes I go through life and I just look at my wife, and I just have to thank the Lord. I am so thankful that the Lord has given me her to do this thing called life with. Amen. But this morning, I've got this overwhelming thing. I am just so thankful for you, the body of River of Life that he has allowed me to do life in church with this body. Give yourself a... Uh, tell, turn to your neighbor and tell her how awesome they are. <laughs> now I've come today not as a preacher or a speaker or as a teacher, just as a man, a man that loves the Lord. And as I say, I've been serving the Lord now for 24 years. I got saved under Brother Henry. I've been in this... Uh, this has been my ministry. This has been my family. I don't know anything else but River of Life, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. It's been one of my greatest pleasures, and, and uh, just I'm so thankful they allowed me to be on the board here at this church and, and to serve and see how to staff. And folks, I just want you to know you are in good hands here at River of Life. Amen. <clears throat> the title of my message today is "My Journey into Amazing Grace." This morning, I want to share with you my personal journey into Amazing Grace. I think we all can agree that the song "Amazing Grace" is one of the most anointed and most biblical and most beautiful of all Christian songs. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But even more beautiful than the song <clears throat> is the understanding of amazing grace. And beyond that, to experience it. Well, that's beyond words. Nevertheless, with the Lord's help, that's what I'm going to try to do. Will you bow your heads and pray? Lord, I love you. I praise you and I trust you. I thank you for this journey you put me on. Lord, I just ask selfishly that you'll calm my nerves. Help me articulate where you've taken me and what you want me to say. And Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, I desperately need you. And I ask you to move right now in Jesus' name. 
This journey started in a hard place over two years ago. And several of y'all can remember, I don't think we could ever forget COVID. The first strand blew through and we were all trying to freak out and see what was going on. And I never got it. I thought I had had it and back and forth, back and forth. And then Cynthia wound up getting it. And then the next strain come along. I think they call that the Delta variant. And many people were sick. Back in August of 2000, I remember Cynthia went through it, and I selfishly or pridefully maybe I just said, well, maybe I'm immune to it. (laughs) Maybe I'm that asymptomatic guy or whatever. That rocked on for about two weeks, and I woke up one Tuesday morning about three in the morning with my head about to split wide open. Felt like somebody hit me in every joint with a hammer. And it went from bad to worse. Cynthia finally took me. We went up there to uh, FAMU to get tested they sent me home they said hey just ride it out for that kind of went from bad to worse on the third day i was burning up with a fever and if those my family especially knows me i hate hospitals i have a panic attack in the parking lot going to see somebody else in the hospital so i told her i said honey this is bad something's wrong please take me to the hospital so we get up to the hospital they wouldn't let me in they said just go home and ride it out so about three more days went on and I did the same thing. I said, honey, we got to go. So at that point, I think there was four or five close friends that were in the ER, some on respirators, two people I knew had died, and it was just getting bad. And I'm sitting there, burned up with fever for several days, and they sent me back home. They wouldn't let me back. They said, just ride it out. So we began to swap some medicine around. And long story short, I think it was about the ninth day. <clears throat> I was asleep on the couch that night. In church, I don't know how to explain this to you. But when I woke up, I knew that I was dying. I could feel myself slipping away. I didn't have enough strength to kind of yell out for Cynthia, so all I did was just kind of roll off the couch onto the floor. And as I laid in the floor, my mind began to race. And it began to race, Lord, I can't die. I've got all this stuff going on. I've got 15 houses going I got this uh, property. We just closed on 16 lots. I'm in the middle of my first development. Me and Cynthia's worked hard for the last 10 years on this investment company. All this stuff, they have no idea what's going on. Lord, you cannot let this happen. And I laid there and I thought about that for I don't know for how long. And then the Lord showed me this slide. And I think for those of y'all that were in Wise Builders at any time in my ministry for about 10 years we had a men's group and we would at the end of every men's group we would show that slide and before that slide we would show the one that says it's not how we start the race but it's how we finish it and in my mind I saw that exact slide and instantly the Lord took me back and showed me that everything I had laid on that floor worrying about had zero eternal value zero eternal value See, I realized at that point that I had taken my focus off of him and I had put it on material things. And then he gave me this scripture, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He beyond any shadow of a doubt that morning in the middle of the night with me laying on that floor of my living room showed me where my treasure was and exactly where my heart was. And I laid there and I wept because I knew that my focus had been taken off of his kingdom 
And for the last 10 years, I had been putting it on, building my own kingdom. And he showed me that what I had built was a whole lot of wood, hay, and straw. And it would not last through the fire. And I laid there broken for I don't know how many hours. Weeping, not knowing if my next breath, and I don't try to exaggerate if my next breath would be my last. But I knew when I crossed that finish line that none of that mattered. That I had, it was, that was it. That I could meet the Lord right then at any point. And I laid there, and as I laid there, this one scripture started coming to my mind. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I just kept saying, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I kept saying that, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And for about an hour, I just kept saying that over and over in my head till I finally had enough strength, I crawled up in my recliner. And I began to wash myself in the water of God's word about faith. I was too weak to pray too weak to even read my Bible, and I would just get under some anointed teaching about faith. A lot of it was the old preacher, some good, good, healthy stuff. And for the next nine days, I sat there and washed myself in the water of the Word concerning faith. <clears throat> and I remember praying it many times, that this sickness does not lead in death, then I have to get this right. Please, Lord, please, Lord, identify and show me what the problem is. The first scripture he led me to was Romans 8.14. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, I thought that was a strange scripture to lead me to, but I just dug in it. That was the only thing I had gotten. So I stayed in that scripture. And I studied that scripture. And what I realized in that is Paul speaking about how we can become a fulfilled and complete Christian. See, the tense there is continual presence tense, being continually led in the Spirit. And the word sons there speaks of maturity. He doesn't say become babes of God, become sons of God. So I stayed on that, and I realized that I know we must be born again to start with. But after that, to grow and be complete, we must be led by His Spirit. So I began to wait and ask the Lord what's next. And He placed me right in front of this teaching. And if you could pull up that next slide, it concerned law and grace. Now, for me, that was a strange, strange place to land. So I said, Lord, reveal to me what the problem is. And then I'm sitting face to face with that law or grace. In the Bible, it's crystal clear there's two ways to achieve righteousness with God. And they're both mutually exclusive. You could either do it by law or you could do it by grace. And he told me, Beyond any shadow of a doubt that, Scooter, you have to decide, is it going to be law or is it going to be grace? See, if you seek righteousness by the law, you cannot achieve it by grace. On the other hand, if you try to achieve it by grace, you cannot achieve it by the law. They are mutually exclusive. He began to show me that my problem was I was trying to mix law and grace, partly law and partly grace. The truth of the matter with me, I didn't really understand either one. See, law is a set of rules that you have to keep, and if you keep all the rules all the time, you can achieve righteousness with God. Grace, on the other hand, is something you cannot earn, and you cannot achieve by working for it. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Grace cannot be earned. Say that with me, church. Grace cannot be earned. One more time. Grace cannot be earned. Grace only comes through one way. And that's through faith. And if I wanted to achieve righteousness with God and come into the maturity of God, I had to decide, was I going to do it by law or was I going to do it by grace? 
And I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert real quick. <clears throat> the Bible is crystal clear that you cannot do it by law. You cannot do it by law. See, the basic principle of doing it by law is you have to keep the whole law all the time. It's not enough to keep the whole law some of the time, and it's not enough to keep some of the law all the time. You have to keep the whole law all the time, or else you are not made righteous with God. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. See, it doesn't matter. We can't pick and choose the commandments we want to follow. If we're going to do it by law, you have to do the whole thing all the time. And I remember he kind of took me back in my mind back when I first got saved and zealous for the Lord, not a whole lot of maturity, trying to tell my friends and all my coworkers about the Lord, lead some family members to the Lord. And it just always seemed that when I would talk to them about the things of God, they would always come up with this little set of rules. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I don't do this and I don't do that. Of course, you got to remember my set of friends. There wasn't a whole lot of I don'ts. But uh, <laughs> the I don't list was pretty short. But what I came to realize pretty quickly was, for the most part, I think that's how our natural mind works when we think of achieving righteousness with God. It's a little set of rules. As far as I can tell, as far as I could tell in all other religions that I've studied, Christianity is the only one that doesn't involve works. It involves grace. Romans 3.20. So let me back up just a second because I came to that point where I was like, okay, Lord, well, what is law? Help me understand what law is. And he led me to Romans 3.20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So I just told you, we cannot achieve it by law. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So I got to ponder on that for a bit. What in the world does that mean? Through the knowledge of law. Or through the knowledge is the knowledge of sin. Help me, Lord. And we've all been through Romans with Derek. A lot of us has. And I knew a lot of that teaching. And I was trying to implement some of that back and forth. But see, the law is God's diagnostic machine. I kind of think when you go to the shop and they plug that thing into your truck and it tells you exactly what's wrong with your truck. That's what the law is meant to do. One of the major purposes of that is to diagnose. When we go to the doctor to see what's wrong with us, he diagnoses it with something. And that's what the law does. Romans seven thirteen through 14. Paul says, did that's what was... Did that which was good then bring death to me? By no means. He's talking about the law. The law is good. The law is perfect. A matter of fact, it was sin. Produced death in me through the good in order that sin might be shown to be sinful. What the law does when we look at it, Brother Henry shared a great illustration with me of that. When you look into the mirror after being working hard all day and you're dirty and filthy, the law actually, when you look in that it reflects the dirt that you have. Does that make sense? So how ridiculous would that be to grab the mirror off the wall and try to clean yourself with the mirror? It can't happen. You know what I'm saying? It is there. The mirror is there for one reason, and that's to reflect what's in us, and that is sin. And through the commandments might be gone beyond. I'm sorry. See, bear with me, y'all. Pray for just a minute. <laughs> oh might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I myself is flesh, sold under sin. I got a quick illustration with that, and I can't believe I forgot this, because years ago before I got saved, probably two years before I got saved, I had a family member invited me to church one day. And a local pastor, I went to church, and 
And it was a great service. It was a great, you know, I remember thinking these are good people. They got a good stuff going on. But it just wasn't for me. You know what I'm saying? It was, I was in a life of sin. I wasn't, it was good, but it, it didn't move me in a real powerful way. I'm kind of embarrassed about this next part where my house was kind of the house where everybody hung out after work. We worked real hard and we played real hard. So we all, you know what I'm saying, in the evenings, it, it, was, it was kind of the hangout, if you get where I'm going with that. Uh, my brother actually lived next door to me at this point in a trailer. And so all my buddies were sitting there at the house one day at the table, and of course, drinking and smoking and carrying on, stuff I'm ashamed to say. And I heard the car door shut, and I looked out the window of the kitchen, and everybody said, who is it? And I said, it's that local preacher that I went to the other Sunday. <clears throat> well, you would have thought I said that it was the police and they had the canine unit because <clears throat> they all shot out the back door. <laughs> it ran to my brother's house. <clears throat> There's a couple of y'all here. I'm not going to call you out. but uh... <clears throat> So that pastor, he sat down with me. And he began to tell me about the Lord and began to lead me down the road of Romans. And I remember, and he left me a Bible, and I was thankful for that. But I remember thinking when he left, I don't know, help me, Lord, to explain this. When he left, I remember, I'm going to do this thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to do this thing. And the harder I would try to do that thing, the more I realized I could not do that thing. Does that make sense? So the law was before me, and I would try and purposely try, and I would try. And I'm convinced that we don't really know how bad we are until we really try to do good. Does that make sense? So the harder I would try, the worse I would get. So what did I do? And I'm scared that hundreds of people do this, even at this altar. I decided, well, I can't do it, so I just quit. And I did not pursue that any longer. So it worked to be a diagnostic for me to show me that sin was in my life. And the second reason for the law is for us to realize that, and that points us to the desperate need that we need a Savior. Amen? Amen. That the only way we could do this is through Jesus. Yeah, give him a round of applause if you can. Go to Romans 8, 3 through 4. I'm going to try to go deep. Derek goes deep. I I swim at the shallow end with my floaties on. So y'all bear with me. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be sin offering. And so he commanded sin and fle- condemned the sin and flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fully met in us. That's what I want to nail, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but live according to the spirit. Please don't misunderstand me today. It's not that we don't have to do what God tells us to do by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But what we do, we do it in a different way. We do it through relationship and not duty. He is crystal clear about that. See, the law was all external written on tablets of stone. Remember when Moses brought the law on tablets of stone. The new way is through the spirit and he writes it on our heart. And he showed me all that in that quick journey. Now I want to touch real quick back on that first scripture. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's the first one he led me to. So I'm still trying to figure that thing out, Lord. Show me what you mean by that. I'm getting a better understanding about the law, but I've got to know what this means. And I just want to say real quick that being led by the Spirit and the things of the Spirit doesn't have to be some weird or flaky thing. You know what I'm saying? I don't understand how the church has lost this. 
not our body, but I'm saying if you get out there, they got radical voices on one side screaming one thing and radical voices on the other side screaming the other. And when you really are in the middle and you want to know the truth, all you hear is them railing at each other. Does that make sense? Let me just say you're in a good safe spot here at River of Life because no matter how loud the radicals yell from either side, we've got a staff and a board that will not bend to that. Amen? So I'm just sitting there, Lord, show me practically what this means. And he led me to John 4, 23 through 24. I don't have this up on the PowerPoint. But the hour is coming is now here when true worshipers were worship the Father in spirit and in truth. See, the Father is seeking people that will worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me just say something real quick. If you want to be led by the spirit and you're worried that you might wander off track, stay in his truth. He will never lead you somewhere that is not backed up in this truth. Amen? So if you've got a question of where he's leading you, dig in here and find out to make sure you're on the right journey. Amen? See, God's way of righteousness is not struggling, I'm learning. It's yielding. It's yielding to his spirit. That doesn't mean that we don't have willpower and we don't have to use our willpower. We just use it differently. And I don't need an amen from my family, but I'm coming to really understand that I'm kind of a hard-headed, <laughs> independent strong-willed man and I'm learning (laughs) I'm learning one of the hardest things I have to do when I come into a situation because I immediately have a solution for it it's to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit and say Lord how would you do this how would you handle that and what I'm just absolutely blown away with is every time how radically different it is than the way that I wanted to do it See, what I'm learning when I'm being led by the Spirit and I'm yielding to that in these situations, that we have the ability to bring the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead into these situations. Does that make sense? And it doesn't have to be weird and it doesn't have to be flaky. I'm going to move real fast on this. I said, Lord, give me something practical with this being led by the Spirit. And he, he showed me two things I've been focusing on. Not to grieve the Holy Spirit and not to quench the Holy Spirit. Y'all with me? Say it with me. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And don't quench the Holy Spirit. See, a simple definition between the two, uh, grieving and quenching, is we grieve the Holy Spirit by what we do to him. And we quench the Holy Spirit by what we refuse to let him do through us. In other words, we grieve him by doing what he tells us not to do, which is obedience. And we can quench him by not allowing him to work through us in certain ways. So I've been on this road of trying to be led by the Spirit. If you see me going like this, I'm not crazy. It's not a nervous twitch. I'm trying not to grieve him, and I'm trying not to quench him. Amen? I really struggle if I should share this next part, but I can tell you that God could use all things together for the good. So I was driving down the road. Lord, teach me a little bit more about this grieving and quenching. So I'm staying on track with this, and I remember when I was teaching my oldest son, he's here today, how to drive. I'm sorry, son. <laughs> Every once in a while, he would just look at me and say, Dad, it's really not that hard. He said, all you have to do is keep it between the mayonnaise and the mustard. <laughs> so I'm driving down the road, having this relationship with the Lord, trying not to grieve him and quench him. And he says, son, it's really not that hard. Just remember, keep him between the mayonnaise and the mustard. So, amen. <laughs> so I've had this experience. He showed me that I had to choose whether it's law or grace. And I'm not getting off track with the being led by the Spirit. I had that experience on the floor. He showed me where my heart was. I do have a deeper understanding about the law. And I am learning hard, the hard, hard lessons of being able to yield to the Holy Spirit. And I thought, 
so many times, Lord, I've done this to him. I thought, I've got this all figured out. I'm done with this lesson and this teaching. Have you ever been there? And I went on and did a little something else for a while. And then last year, I'm real big on New Year's resolutions. I'm big on Mondays. I'm big on the first of the year. I always have my resolution. Ask Cynthia. I've got to have something for New Year's. She's laughing. I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> so I'm coming up on New Year's last year, and I said, Lord, you've got to show me. What's, what's next? What's next on this journey? And he brought me right back face-to-face with grace. I'm embarrassed to tell you this, so I'm standing there in front of grace, thinking I've got it all figured out. Amen? Got a deep understanding about grace. And I'm trying to study, and I'm not getting anywhere, and I said, Lord, you've just got to help me. Have Have I grieved you, or have I quenched your spirit? And he took me back, it was about three or four days prior to this, to a conversation I had with somebody. And in that conversation, what I had said was I don't really follow that guy's ministry. He preaches way too much grace. You know what I mean? He, he just elevates that grace way too high. I, I kind of like my works. You know what I'm saying? I, I believe 100% responsibility of man. So, so I'm not going there. You know what I'm saying? I had actually even, in my mind, had enough scriptures when somebody would come talk to me about grace, I could immediately dart those scriptures at them. You with me? In the gentle voice of the Lord clearly spoke to me and said, son, don't ever diminish my grace and elevate your works. And I was broken, church. I was broken, and I said, I'm sorry. I did some repenting. I said, please teach me what grace is all about. And he led me to grace. This first grace I want to call undeserved favor. I think they've got that on the slide. And I think that word is an absolute wonderful phrase, undeserved favor. Romans 3.24, for we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Grace is what inclines God to give gifts that are free to undeserved sinners. Romans 5.15, for many died through one man's trespass and much more has, grace, has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. So grace is the quality of God to produce free gifts for guilty sinners in salvation. Romans eleven five through 6. For at this present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now get this part here. But if it is by grace, it is no longer based on works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So you can't work for it. It can't be earned. It is free and undeserving. Now that in itself is a great... I'm trying, y'all, because I know what this goes. <laughs> that in itself blows my mind when we talk about the God of grace. And that's true when it's wonderful. Our eternal lives depend on it. None of us would be saved if grace were not undeserved favor. And if it was not a quality in the mind of God and in the heart of God and even in the nature of God. But then he led me, and I had no idea about this, that there's 131 uses of grace in the ESV, 124 in the New Testament, 86 of which are from the Apostle Paul, which means two-thirds of all the uses of the word grace are under one author, Paul. No wonder he's called the author of grace. 
Then he began to lead me into another group of passages where Paul comes at grace a little bit differently. I'm going to call this grace for the power of living. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now that seems to picture a grace or a power of an influence for obedience. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul had reached out to him three times and asked him to remove that thorn of his flesh. And he says, my grace is sufficient in your weakness and my power. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by, grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. In the contrary, I worked harder. That was the effect of grace, working harder than any of them. Though not me, but the grace of God that was in me. All three of these texts, and there are many, many more. Grace is not only a disposition or a quality or inclination of the nature of God, but is an influence, even a power in acting that could help us change our capacity for such things as work, suffering, and obedience. Now, the first dimension of that grace is undeserved favor. The second one I've been calling grace for a powerful living. I call that two-dimensional. Then he led me to this scripture, Hebrews 4, 16. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize empathize with us in our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are tempted but yet he did not sin let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need church there's a throne of grace not just a grace that's undeserved favor not just a grace that could help us on living in obedience and works, but there's also actually a throne of grace. And I love this verse. A lot of us know it, but we may not have thought of it that way. Let us consider then to draw near to this throne of grace. That's a throne with the quality and the character and the inclination to treat people better than they deserve. It's the kind of throne that we're coming to. But then it says that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. Other translations say that we may find well-timed help in our time of need. It is incredibly encouraging to me that God's grace is both an inclination and the divine heart of God to treat us better than we deserve, but is an extension of that inclination for practical help and power for living. I had an experience that I'm going to try to share concerning this, this part of grace. And I got to go to a hunting trip that I went with me and my son. We went to Kansas. My brother was up there in Kansas. It was right after this. Uh, I got off my sick bed with COVID in September. We had this trip in November. So I desperately was seeking the Lord. Lord, I have got to have you. I would love to kill a big deer. I'm not lying. But I just desperately needed an experience with God because I was on this journey. And I spent five days hunting this one particular spot and I would go to my ground line real early and I like to do that and get into black dark and just get before the Lord and pray and as soon as it would get daylight I would grab my phone I don't know how many ever do this and start reading scripture just kept reading scripture Lord maybe if I keep reading more scripture 
then, then I'll get in your presence. Maybe if I pray a little bit more, I could get into your presence. I spent five days reading and praying, reading and praying, not receiving anything from the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that's not a bad practice. I'm just saying I was not getting in the presence of the Lord. It was the last day, and I'm sitting there, and I said, Lord, I desperately need to see you. I def- desperately need an encounter with you. What am I doing wrong? I began just like all the other days. I would read some, and I'd pray some. I'd read some, I'd pray some. And he stopped me, and I've never had this kind of interaction with the Lord. It was almost a question and answer thing. He spoke to me in a strange way, Pastor Henry. He said, how do you speak to Brother Henry? And in my mind's eye, he took me to a dining table, and I was sitting there. I said, well, I speak to him just like I normally speak to him. Do you treat him with respect? Yeah, I treat him with respect. Do you change the way you, your tone? Do you get louder or softer? Do you change your language? No, I don't. I just speak to him as a man, expecting that he's listening and can, and, and can hear back. And he said, that's how I want you to speak to me. So what I tried to accomplish by reading and praying and reading and by praying, I gently turned in my chair in that ground line, and I said, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And his presence so filled that room that little area for so long I don't know how to explain it you guys but I went into his very presence so quickly just by changing my posture my oldest son we were in a conversation last week and he asked me several times in that conversation he said dad something's really changed with you something is different even over the last couple of years something's different with you I didn't really know how to explain to him what was different, but I'm going to try. Son, I'm going to try. You said you've got to tell me, so I'm going to try to tell you. What's changed in me is I'm trying hard to be led by the Spirit. I'm trying not to grieve him, and I'm trying not to quench him. I'm taking that experience that I had in the ground line, and with confidence, I'm approaching the very throne of God. And son, when I get in there, I'm not just receiving undeserved favor or power for living or mercy and grace in a time of need. But I'm learning how to fellowship with the one that's sitting on that cross, or on that throne, in that throne room. That's been tempted and tried in every way that we have. And as I sit there, He's beginning to write his laws on my heart and put them in my mind. And what I'm realizing is that I'm leaving those encounters radically and profoundly changed, not by anything that I've done or any work that I could do, but by God's amazing grace. And that, my friend, is my journey into God's amazing grace. I want to close with this. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm not a good speaker. And I wish I could really just take and grab you and put you in my heart to where I'm at. But this journey that he's led me on, and he's not done with me yet. I'm learning how to be led by his spirit. I've chosen that I will choose grace. I'm not going to do it by law. And I desperately need those encounters in his throne of grace. Amen. Brother Bill, I asked him, I said, well, Lord, why do I like to hold on to my little set of rules so much? 
And it's just what you preached on the other day. It's pride. So I can look and say, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. And he says, don't do that, son. Don't ever diminish my grace and elevate your works. So I'm committed from this day forward, I will never diminish his grace. I will do the best I can do to elevate his grace. If I diminish anything, it's going to be our works. Amen? This life that I'm trying to live is by faith, being led by the Spirit into his throne of grace. He showed me where my heart was. He showed me for me to mature what to do. And he showed me that I plainly had to decide, decide if it was law or grace, and I choose grace. So I asked the Lord to seal the deal and to help me. Just honestly, Lord, help me. Because I do. I, I love to hold on to my little set of rules. And he said, you know what that is, son? That's just a crutch. Just a crutch. Why don't you hand me the crutch? I said, no, I kind of like the crutch. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. I kind of like the crutch, Lord. He said, hand me the crutch and I'll hand you something better. And he did that very thing. I ask you to pull up Romans 7, 14 through 15. And I'm going to read this one more time. For we know that the law is spiritual, but we, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I couldn't get past that sold under sin part. Sold under sin, under the law, all this under this and under that. I said, Lord, help me understand what that is. And see, when Paul wrote that, the the, the audience and the crowd that he was speaking to, they knew exactly what it was. See, back in that day when Rome took over an area that they were allowed, the soldiers could actually keep the people and they could sell them as a slave. And they could take them to a slave market and they could sell them and they could split the money. And I'm going to try to illustrate this the best that I can. But when he says under sin, in the Roman day, if you were a slave of the Roman army, they had a spear that would be cast over your head. Does that make sense? So when you were in the slave market, they could look and they knew that those slaves were Roman slaves where that spear was cast over their head. Well, folks, we have a spear cast over our head, and that spear is sin. And there's only one way to get out from under that sin. And that's through Jesus Christ. He gave me this. And let's just pray. Lord, we love you. And we praise you. And I thank you. And I ask that you'll bless me. To somehow articulate where you got me in in my heart with this. In Jesus' name. So what he showed me. It was something like this. That we were in a slave market. For sale. Don't have anything to offer. Spear over my head is sin. Scared to death, don't know what to do. And in the midst of all that, you look in the back of the room, and there's a man back there, prince of a man. He's kind of captivated with him, and he starts walking across the room, and you can't take your eyes off of him. And he gets down there. You're scared. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going on. You don't know who he is, but you know that you can't quit looking at him. He makes his way all the way down in front of you. Your eyes meet with his eyes. Nothing you've done or nothing you can say. And he points up at you. He said, I'll buy him. 
loved by him and he purchases you. Nothing you've done, nothing you can say. You bring nothing to the table. Now for me, that's a very powerful illustration because I, I remember when he revealed himself to me in a little cabin on the Sopchoffee River. There was nine other people in that room and I wouldn't have picked me, but he picked me to reveal himself to me. And what he did after that, he led me from that cabin to Pastor Henry's house at three o'clock in the morning. Henry sat at his table that morning and he led me to the Lord. Now what I realized, salvation is a free gift. But you have to receive that gift to receive the person. Does that make sense? Would you just stand with me real quick? So I had to receive that gift to receive that person. And Brother Henry led me to that position in that place. So what happened to me that day is I stepped out from under that spear of sin. And I walked up under the cross. That's right. And I've been serving the Lord for 24 years only by His grace and only through His mercy. So I want to ask you a quick question today. There's a song that keeps running through my head over and over and over again. What would you do if you walked into the room? Seriously, church, what would you do if you walked into the room? What would you do Thank you. if you walked into Because he's here right now. What would you do? He's here right now. It's up to us to make that decision to choose that free gift. To choose the grace of God that is undeserved favor and salvation. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask you to move in a powerful way in Jesus' name. Lord, please help us. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.